Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, the show where retired cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have an incredible show for you today. We have a retired ATF agent, Wayne Miller, who was a case agent of the largest arson investigation in U.S. history. He wrote a book, Burn, Boston, Burn, and I've just cracked into it. It's a huge book. It's a real book. It's, you know, a lot of times cops write books. This is a real person, a real author writing a real cop book. This is amazing. Then we're going to have a, sadly, a segue from Burn, Boston, Burn to Burn Cities burn with the riots we're going to talk about how these protests have been morphed or maybe hijacked into more of a purge on police and then the last segment we're going to talk about stupid suspect stories heroic headlines and jason's inspirational clothes so stay tuned stay informed and most of all you're going to be entertained more stories inside guests and true blue humor coming up on batch boys we'll be back right after this I remember, the, I remember moment. the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association in this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Now, Jason, I know you love firemen. They're like your the biggest people in your world. I've only said it at least once on every show since we started. So, yeah, you're probably right. I love firemen, too. I, oh, yeah, but for different reasons. Yeah, for very different reasons. <laughs> no, are you kidding? I, I appreciate when they come help me out. And they, well, yeah, they Depending are nice to wearing. look at. Yeah. No. What we have is a uh, Wayne Miller. He was a special agent, criminal investigator, and certified fire investigator for the U.S. Treasury Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms in Boston for 25 years. And even though this man, his heart is cop, his he absolutely loves fire. And, and understandably why, Wayne Miller was the ATF agent for the largest arson case investigation in the history of the country. An astounding true crime case about a conspiracy of nine men, including three Boston cops and a Boston firefighter who burned Boston and surrounding communities in the early 1980s due to tax-cutting measures that caused layoffs of hundreds of police and firefighters. So over two years, these Fire buffs turned into arsonists, torched 264 buildings, causing millions of dollars in damages and hundreds of injuries. And now we have him on our show. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you uh, retired ATF agent Wayne Miller. But more importantly, uh, Jason, um, we have an 
we have an update. We have um, news breaking, don't we? We have breaking news literally that just came in this second. I know people are going to listen to this later, but the remaining three police officers in Minnesota have been charged. Very good. And Jason and I were just talking about that before the show because we have to, in Cop Talk, kind of revamp what we said last week because more video came out, more information came out, more intelligence. And again, it's a fluid investigation. And we definitely have one have a heck of a lot to talk about in Cop Talk. And I'm hoping our guest today will join us a little bit on uh, talking about what he saw during the Rodney King riots. Even though he was in L.A., he was uh, working in that capacity as an ATF. And man, did we see some burnings during that time. So without further ado, I want to introduce retired agent Wayne Miller. Wayne, welcome to the show, my friend. Guys, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Rockin' Robin, Jason, and you, Darren, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, The pleasure is all ours. And like I was talking about uh, in the intro, having picked up your book, and by the way, I'm going to Boston. I'm going to be emceeing some event out there. I definitely have to hook up with you. I want this signed because this is really a good book. Um, Having said that, Tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to Boston to investigate this incredible case. You know, uh, I started out college at UConn and Connecticut engineering. I hated engineering after six months. <laughs> and uh, right away I got into criminal justice back at uh, Bryant College, which is now Bryant University here in Rhode Island. And uh, I loved criminal justice law enforcement from the first minute. And uh, I was so happy when... The Boston office, ATF, in 1976 put on 40 agents. They doubled the office from 40 to 80 agents in New England. And uh, that they only hired 40 more agents over the next uh, 20 years. So it's just a blessing of uh, where I was in life and uh, how I had worked to get to that point. I had done undercover work for the state of Rhode Island and uh, down on Cape Cod prior to getting hired by ATF. And... Uh, once I got on the federal job, again, I loved it from the first minute until the day I retired. You know, I would not have known that you were from Boston. I had no idea. The Boston area. <laughs> Is it popping out? <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about this investigation. Kind of lead us into it. How, you know, did it just sit, find its way on your desk? How did you get involved? Well, in Boston, um, ATF was not serious about uh, the arson problem, but late in the 1970s and early into 1980s, the federal government got very serious about the large cities burning. So in 1982, uh, there were four arson task force cities, L.A., Chicago, New York, and Boston. And I volunteered for the Boston Arson Group at that point. And we actually had a Boston uh, fire investigator who was assigned right in our group. He had a desk. He had one of our vehicles. He was cross-designated. And we started that group in March 1982. And very coincidentally, this crew of characters set their first fire February 18, 1982. Now, these are a group of guys who did not know each other until the late 70s, early 80s. They were all fire buffs. Uh, even so, you know, three of them became police officers. One was a Boston police officer. Two were Boston housing officers eventually. Three of them were also firefighters, one being a Boston full-time firefighter. And one owned a security company. Their hobby was buffing fires or sparking fires. You know, fire buffs are a legitimate group. They collect memorabilia. They take photographs. They love equipment, apparatus. um, And a lot of them run to fires. 
you know, they like to see the firefighter operations and take photos. So this group met each other at one of the famous spots where they used to hang out in Boston was a Howard Johnson's right across from Boston Fire Headquarters. And from there, with their personalized uh, vehicles, their black LTDs and their black Chevy sedans that look just like unmarked police vehicles, and whip antennas, they would get the fire calls to come in, and then they would race to the fires. Uh, but what happened in Massachusetts is that tax-cutting measure you mentioned in the intro, Proposition 2.5 here, it means that if you had a $100,000 home, your taxes on that home could be no more than $2,500. And the cities and towns had no idea where the money was going to come from to pay their employees. And who gets laid off? The typical teachers, firefighters, and police, right? So in this case, Boston uh, Fire Department lost 600 firefighter positions, 200 through a rapid attrition program, and then 400 layoffs. Fire wow. companies, 22 fire companies closed down. Uh, firehouses with the big spray painted on the door closed. Apparatus just sitting vacant, just idle. And all of a sudden, you know, some people died right around the corner from some of these firehouses that were closed because response times now increased to get to these fires. So these guys said, we have to do something. They were a twisted version of Robin Hood. Instead of stealing from the rich, give to the poor, they said, we're going to set fires so that the people will scream and the newspapers will pick it up. And the mayor of Boston at that time, Kevin White, was a very strong-willed person. Um, he will not use us as pawns, and they'll have to rehire all those guys who got laid off and put all the companies back into service. So they set their first building in February, and it's just a coincidence that we started the arson group in March, and they ramped up their number of fires. They set two, four, six, up to seven fires in a night, oh. up to 40 fires a month, and multiple alarm fires. In June 11th, 1982, I think there were six multiple alarm fires, two nine alarms, a six alarm, and a couple other more minor alarm number fires. And uh, they would set so many fires, and they would do it on Thursday night, Friday night. They were called a Friday night firebug, and the newspapers did pick it up, and people did scream, but that didn't help getting people rehired for a long time. So the, we investigators, the Boston Police, Boston Fire, and ATF, the state fire marshal wasn't involved initially here in Massachusetts because it was all in the city of Boston, and Boston kind of handled its own work, you know? So... While these guys are setting the fires, we're running around with uh, heads cut off. You know, we are running from fire to fire. Boston Arson mostly was doing the origin and causes on some of these buildings. Now, their targets, their favorite targets were, we have so many triple-deckers. You guys don't have triple-deckers out there in Arizona, right? No. Well, triple-deckers are three-family. Well, if I say triple-decker to a certain firefighter, they say, hey, that's a sandwich. It's a three-decker. <laughs> it's a, it's a uh, three-story wood structure, typically, uh, that had three families in it. And a lot of them have been broken up to make them into six apartments now, that type of thing. But uh, we have so many of them here in New England and in the Boston area. There's tons of them. And the outside is typically covered with asphalt shingles, the same ones that are on the roofs of a lot of houses. The sidings in 1940s were sided with asphalt shingles. And the nickname for that is gas shingle because it's nothing but a solid gasoline. 
you can put a match to them and actually make it go up to the roof line in a matter of minutes. So these guys took an incendiary device, a simple little device. I won't tell you everything because a lot of time we have, it'll keep people interested in possibly getting a book anyway. <laughs> but but uh, they took a simple device. They would place it right up against these gas, what we call the nickname, gas shingles, and they would take off. And then they would hit another target and another target. As a matter of fact, they made lists of targets while they were on duty during the day, driving around looking for the same type of buildings that they could actually hit easily, uh, get away with it. It's always undercover darkness. It's always after, virtually after midnight, before 5 a.m., riding around in their unmarked cruisers. So, you know, people in the uh, residential areas would think, oh, it's just the cops. And as a matter of fact, white cops here in our minority areas and stuff like that, nobody else would be crazy enough. They have to be cops, you know? Um, so they would set the fire after fire. They started stealing fireboxes, and there's several motives for that. But uh, the explanation is uh, if you steal the firebox, nobody can report it easy. You know the ones that, uh, do you guys still have them on pedestals out there? have no uh, idea no what you're talking, talking about. No idea. Um they look like a little house, almost, in a, in a sense, and it's just a red box or a yellow, uh, and it's on a pole or it's against the side of a building. And back in those days here in Boston, they were voice boxes. You open the little door, and you could actually speak to fire alarm and actually report the fire directly. So uh, they stole the fire boxes. It would cause a delay in reporting because, again, the fires are after midnight, and re- a lot of them were residential areas or even the industrial areas. How many people are coming by and going to see a fire, and then how do you report them? Yeah, number back. You're right, because right. at this time, there wasn't cell phones. There wasn't the the surveillance video was just that, bad VH video, if anything. So it was a different world back then, wasn't it? Uh, very different. I, I actually stated at some point near the end of the book that this case could never have happened like this, because exactly because of GPS, cell phones, social media, uh, and security cameras around every other corner or people's doorbells, you know, that type of thing. So they're out there, and they almost got caught multiple times. And they're setting these fires. October 2nd, 1982, we had 22 firefighters fall through a roof, and they got burned, they got broken backs, broken legs, a lot of serious injuries. But, you know, here these guys who are supposed to be brothers in arms, right, they made October their third most prolific month in setting fires. They set over 30 fires, and that's after October 2nd when all these firefighters got hurt. Wow. Now, initially, they chose to do vacant buildings, and that's why we had so many vacant uh, three-family homes that were just empty, and they thought it would be safer. But then they went June June 3rd, 1980. What's today, June 3rd? It is. Uh, the it is. anniversary, 1982, uh, Sparrow Toy Company, a 1,000-foot-long warehouse with cheap, imported toys, uh, stuffed toys and plastics on pallets and still in boxes. And they set a fire on the outside, and it carried inside. That thing went to a full of nine alarms, which is the maximum number of alarms, and a special call for mutual aid, in a sense. Uh, sometimes they had firefighters, first arriving firefighters to some of the fires, came from 20 miles away uh, to fight the fires. Um, so, again, we're running around. We have no clue. You know, you kind of think in your mind, could it be, you know, disgruntled, uh, laid-off guys, union guys? I mean, you can't help but think that, you know. But uh, we got a big break 
but it didn't come until after they set about 140 fires. Wow. Over how long a period? Uh, those 140? Yes, sir. Were from February to November, uh, you know, in the same year. So what's that, eight months? Yeah, almost nine, nine months. months, yeah. And uh, most of them, they started spreading outside the city of Boston. They started late summer, early fall, spreading outside the city, and they changed the day of the week because they didn't want to establish too much of a pattern. But uh, they, they would go south of Boston, hit two, two places, drive right through Boston, and hit two just north of Boston. One night, they went about 35 miles northwest of Boston and set four major multiple alarm fires in one city in one night. Um, that city hardly had, you know, it had multiple alarm fires like once every other month, and they had four to deal with in one night. And very dramatic scene. It could have changed everything. There was almost a murder of the state police out there by these guys. You know, that's one thing I was going to talk about a little bit is the fact that these are, you know, public servants, police, firemen, risking their brothers' and sisters' lives with these fires. Um, Were they done? I don't want to get too deep in the book because you got a book to sell. But was there... um, Situations where they were could have been done for attempt homicide. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, nobody ever charged them with that, and federally we don't have a crime for that. But they could have been federally when we did charge them, and they they did enough buildings that infected affected interstate commerce. But every time a firefighter is hurt at one of those fires, it doubles could double the sentence from ten to twenty years each and every time. Uh, if there is a fatality, and there were none. There were, there were over 200 firefighters injured at their fires, but by the grace of God, and I, we really don't understand it, and even, I have a relationship with one of these arsonists today. He's a huge part of the book. When you read it, you're going to read dialogue, and the dialogue makes it almost seem like uh, a novel instead, like fiction, but it's not. Uh, Greg Bemis, who was present for 260 of the 264 fires, he tells me that they themselves could not believe that nobody got killed eventually. But I don't know why they kept it up for so long. I still talk to him. I just talked to him two weeks ago. I, uh, he wanted to buy a couple more books for his friends. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> you know, there was a movie. Uh, I'm a big movie buff. There's a movie called Backdraft. Was that? Great movie. Yeah, thank you. Great um, movie. Yeah, it really is. Ron Howard production. Uh, great acting, great production. That was about the same time frame, wasn't it? Uh, you know, it was fairly close. I just uh, actually looked at it again, watched the movie about uh, three weeks ago during its uh, virus, and uh, I was doing another uh, show for somebody, and he wanted to talk specifically about a relationship between my book and that show. Um, there is a firefighter, obviously, in that movie who is setting places, but that, uh, there's an awesome for-profit background in that one, and these guys were doing it so And it was one guy. Yes, it was one guy. One That's right. Yeah. Right. Now, can you imagine, how do you get eight arsonists? The ninth guy actually joined in real late, and uh, he was there to actually help one of the guys become a fugitive, and he was going to provide work and a house for him. So that's how he got involved. But can you imagine eight guys joining together for a two-year period and do fire after fire and hurt so many people? Well, and, and Wayne, what's so upsetting about this, uh, speaking from somebody who's been involved in a very serious fire. I know, uh, I appreciate your words about thankfully nobody was killed, but the amount of people that were injured, when it comes to burn injuries, Mm -hmm. I would say 
again, from personal experience, a lot of times dying is a whole lot easier. The injuries are incredibly bad. They are lifelong. So it almost angers me more to hear how many people were injured. And I understand what you're saying about, thank God nobody was killed, but this makes me more angry at these guys for injuring that amount of people, especially with what arguably is the worst physical injury that you can have. Jason, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, we had a TV show here. It's on every five nights a week. And they did a full half hour on this story. And uh, I asked Greg Bemis, the arsonist, if he would participate. He didn't want to be on TV. He, d- he, he did go to prison. He did testify in two trials. And uh, it's a very strange relationship that you guys might have, too, on the job with somebody that you might have arrested at one point. But um, I spent two to 400 hours with Greg after he wow. finally confessed. And... Um, we had to debrief him, and then we prepped him for trials, that type of thing. And I have a journal that he wrote while I was in prison, which is a big part of the book. And also now I have this relationship. But So Greg answered these questions for Chronicle, his TV show on Channel 5 here in Boston. And he answered some email questions, and they put one of those answers at the end of the show. And you guys have to try to find it on YouTube. Uh, they broke it up on YouTube into like three or four sections. Chronicle is a TV show, and they called it uh, Boston Burning. And um, so Greg answered the question uh, about how he felt now, 35 years after the fact. And let me tell you, I let people form their own opinion. I let Greg answer his own question. He still takes credit for a bill that got passed called the Traeger Bill which actually helped get some people rehired. 35 years later, he still takes credit. He says, although some of the first injuries were minor, and I stop when I'm in a speaking event and I say, how many firefighters in this group have had a minor injury, but think that ceiling coming down on you or something like that, you could have died in that fire or you could have had a major injury. You came that close. And Greg says uh, in that answer, he says, I still feel that we were responsible for helping the people. He burned the State Fire Academy here, and he still takes credit for it. Uh, we have a new fire academy because of him. Wow, um, this guy is uh, this guy's <laughs> a piece of work. Jesus Christ. Yeah. POS is what I'm thinking, uh, because that's rationalizing, yeah. no doubt about it. But Usually know- people get softer with age. Usually people have remorse or at least some sense of... Attrition. Attrition. After 35 years, he still takes credit for this? That. In a positive way. <laughs> Leaves me speechless. Wow. Can wow. we say ego? <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, how, how, listening to you, I can't wait to tell all my friends about the book. And like I said, I'm reading it. I love the first chapter into the second chapter. Uh, how do you get this book, my friend? Uh, you can go to my website, and I will personally sign it and put it in an envelope for you. Um, burnbostonburn.com. Uh, all one word, Burn Boston Burn. Uh, it's on Amazon, but you won't get it signed. You know, uh, it's also a target. It's uh, online and uh, Walmart online. And um, but uh, you know, I also donate fifty percent of my profits to burn victim charities. I've given uh, a few thousand dollars already to different charities, and I propose to give quite a bit more in the future. Awesome. Um, can I read uh, four lines? To oh, you please, guys? please do. Please do. It's a dedication, and I, I do it at every one of my speaking events because. I came up with this in a matter of two minutes at the end of writing this book. You know how people dedicate a lot of books to their wives and family, that type of thing. To all those who have been victims of fires, 
to the firefighters who fight them, and to the fire investigators who go the distance. May you all have the strength to carry on. It just epitomizes what this story is about. Um, you guys, uh, Jason, I'm sure you can feel something for that personally. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, as a fire investigator for 38 years, uh, you know, 20 of the 20 plus years public and then another 18 on the private side, you know, you have to have the strength to actually go out and do that fire scene afterwards. And you have to try to put that case together and you have to try to do it with the science involved. And you do it for the people who get injured by fires and killed by fires. And the firefighters are the ones who go out there and put their line, life's on the line every day to put these fires out. So I hope all of you have the strength to keep carrying on. Well said, my friend. We're going to go into a break and come back with Comp Talk. And will you join us for a little bit of that? Sure, absolutely. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget, never forget that moment. As long as I as live. As long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for firefighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Badge Boys, everybody. Great first segment, and we are happy to have Wayne still with us. Wayne, uh, as we get into Cop Talk, which is, uh, if you've ever listened to our podcast, you know can get uh, pretty... Heated. Heated, <laughs> and I would say that this week is... Uh, it might set a new bar for uh, how intense it's going to be because of what we talked about last week and what has occurred in the past seven days. But, you know, as you're, as a former investigator, what you've seen uh, on a scale of, you know, one area, uh, a certain group of people, people you called, you know, that you would consider in some ways, peers or compadres or, or, you know, just somebody that you have at least a connection with. But when you watch TV at night right now and you see what you're seeing with buildings being burned, cop cars being burned, dumpsters being burned, I don't care really what's being burned. Police station. It's, it's just, yeah, the police station in Minnesota being burned. But that's a whole another issue that we can get into. When you see this, like what are your thoughts both as, uh, please, as a human being and somebody who loves your country, but also as a former federal arson investigator. You know, guys, um, I, I probably know thousands who were in law enforcement, you know, local, state, and feds. And by and large, all of us, we just try to do the job the best we can every day. But you get faced with unbelievable split-second decisions. What those police officers did with Mr. Floyd 
I felt was wrong. The instant, I, you know, I like to hear some of the evidence in a sense, but when you see the knee choking that guy out and what happened to him, that part is absolutely wrong, and law enforcement doesn't have any room for that. Some other stories you see on TV where they show one side and then show the other. If you show a cruiser moving into a crowd, what they were probably they could have been seconds away of a firebomb going through the window of that cruiser. Do you, does anybody talk about that part? Um, the right to protest, we've had so many good ones around the country, so many legitimate protests, and then you get the crowd that just wants to be crazy animals that, and justify it by saying, we've been down for all our lives. We, this is right for us to break into the stores and steal stuff and, and burn. How can they burn? We had one small city south of Boston last night where they breaking in and starting to burn uh, some businesses. They're all owned by minorities. They're hurting their own people. I don't understand. Lift yourself up. A lot of people have lifted themselves out of poverty and become superstars in this world in one way or another. But the decisions that are going on now with people, you know, spitting in your face, that's got to be so tough. I've never been on quite that line. Uh, I've been in some tough situations. And, you know, the decisions that you have to make. And you have to try to keep the buildings and other people safe. So you have to use some sort of... uh, line that people can't cross. The city of Boston had the entire uh, financial district and the uh, shopping district, store after store a couple nights ago, were just, the windows were broken and looted and a few places torched. I mean, where is that line? The decisions are really tough for everybody, and people have to understand that too. It's tough for the mayors. It's tough for the governors. where is the line that you're going to allow? You know, allow the peace, peaceful pro, uh, protest, but after that, if it gets out of hand, you have to use some sort of uh, show of force. Well, I uh, appreciate your words. Um, I think the only part I would disagree with on the end is it's difficult for the mayors and the governors. And, and I, only, <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I only say that. I only say that in the sense because I get sick and tired of people talking about us living in a democracy when we don't. We live in a republic. We vote for people who promise us one thing and then do do something else. But in in this situation, what we've seen over the past week, your job as a mayor, your job as a governor is protect your citizens, your businesses, and your city. And so – the governors and the mayors are not in a difficult position. They cannot control their narcissism and their thoughts about, well, what is this going to mean at the voter ballot in three years? Well, I can tell you for a lot of people like me, and I don't care who you are. I'm not voting for any fucking one of you <laughs> ever, at all. You're all so incredibly inept. You're all so incredibly disgusting and arrogant that I'm not going to be participating in that. But you have a job to do, and that is to keep your citizens and your city safe. And there are many, many governors and mayors who are failing at this level right now. Oh, there's no doubt. Now, like here, 
what question, uh, one question, in a sense. When the first protesters came out, do you already have, like, National Guard out there when you don't know what's going to happen? But after the first night, when they start destroying things, and I'm not saying all the protesters at all, not even, I'm just talking again, uh, a small fraction of people out there actually doing that. But um, at what point do you call in the National Guard? Well, and, that's a great question, and please, you can follow up. I'm not trying to interrupt you, but your First Amendment right is to peacefully assemble, assemble, peacefully protest. What you know, we had the death of Mr. Floyd, which we can talk about as uh, human beings, as police officers. In every regard, it was disgusting and wrong. It, it, it was just pure mur- murder. But what we have seen, so what are we going into, day nine? Yeah, and nine. To, And tonight we're going to see the same thing. We're going to see fires. Hopefully not. So we're going to. Yeah. Well, this might help that the other three officers got arrested, but I still think we're going to see it. And the reason is because the mayor of Minnesota allowed at his directive for a police precinct to be evacuated and burned. And as soon as the national news starts tweeting that, starts showing that, that is going to spread, no pun intended, like wildfire, like, wow, if we can overtake a police station. Emboldens them. And it does. And so I lay the last three to four to five nights because obviously it is not about Mr. Floyd anymore. I mean, his brother gave a speech two days ago that Beautiful was speech. one of the greatest Beautiful. talks. He, you Stop. know, when a guy says, hey, if... This is my brother. If I'm not out here burning my city, Where if I'm not out here, what the hell are you doing? You're exploiting it was, his death. It was an incredible speech. So we have long passed yeah. uh, Mr. Floyd's, uh, like, mourning him. I lay the, what's going on now is at the, the, the feet of the mayor. The attorney general for Minnesota is a fucking embarrassment on an an epic level and the governor's not doing anything but to your point i mean you can't call the national guard not on night one yeah exactly on night one that's not what they're for the national guard needs to be there because we have hurricane season coming up we've got COVID 19 they went from COVID 19 to this we have plenty of reasons for the national guard to get called up after night eight now we're at the point where all protesters all extremists are now you know what you want to lump this douchebag police officer who murdered floyd you want to say all of us are bad well now after night eight guess what all of you protesters it's 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 no longer there's no level of peace versus criminal activity this has to end right now and on that end i know you have to get going wayne i know you have a appointment so thank you so much for sticking around for this portion of cop talk and me and jason are going to continue uh big time after this thank Uh, you for your service sir. thank you appreciate you very much stay safe out there thank you you know uh speaking of uh this is no longer a protest uh i cannot agree with you stronger jason it's no longer a protest i think we can stop and just admit what this is going on now this is a purge on police. These are domestic terrorists. Um, multiple police officers injured in protests. A, uh, a report comes out in St. Louis. Four officers were recently struck by gunfire during protests. Their injuries are non life threatening, thankfully. Uh, New York City, a sergeant was hit by a car with such force that the, that the officer flipped sideways in the air. 
The officer is in serious but stable condition. Shattered pelvis broken shattered, femur. Shattered. 13 Philadelphia police officers injured in protest. Um, of those 13, seven of the officers sustained chemical burns to the face. Two had head injuries, and four were left with injuries to their extremities. Uh, then you, have, of course, even worse, you have the murders. You have the St. Louis Police um, Department retiree uh, captain. He was murdered. You have the, um, uh, in fact, you have the Las Vegas police. He's on life support. Life support. And horrifically shot in the head while he's arresting, trying to arrest looters. And then, of course, the first murder was the uh, federal cop that was murdered in Oakland. You have all this going down. Um, and this is no longer protest. When you show up and you know all this, you know all this mayhem is going on. And by the way, I'm just going to read a little bit of the, the, of the injuries. In the last 96 hours, Las Vegas, you heard about that, starting with a rioter, he was shot in the head. Uh, also, an active shooter opened fire on law enforcement at Las Vegas Courthouse. Four St. Louis police officers we talked about. Uh, the uh, three Buffalo law enforcement officers were struck by a vehicle in front of the police station. Three Davenport law enforcement officers were ambushed and one was shot. 132 police officers were injured in Chicago. Pittsburgh had nine officers injured by uh, rocks and bricks. Uh, an active shooter opened fire at the Oakland Police Department. Two officers were struck in the head with projectiles in Santa Ana. Two Richland officers were shot in Virginia. One officer was, was struck in the head by a brick in Albany. Four Prince William County police officers sustained head injuries from projectiles. Seven officers were injured in Sacramento. You had an officer shot and injured in Lynchburg. You had several campaign police officers. You had three Oakland police officers injured. You had 21 officers in Salt Lake City. Denver had three. 33 New York police officers were injured. Six Athens, two capitals, 12 Las Vegas Metropolitan police officers, 21 Minneapolis police officers. You had one federal protective officer killed. And I haven't even touched the surface. We haven't talked about Phoenix. We haven't talked about Boston. We haven't talked about all these other cities. It is absolutely a yeah, purge on police. Yeah, also haven't talked about all the innocent civilians. Thank you. We haven't guarding, talked about the firemen who lost the store, his business. The firemen, the guarding, well, people guarding <sighs> their stores. The guy the other night who was literally on his knees just staying in front of his store, and he got beat with a ladder and a two-by-four by two criminals. And Little white female. Yeah, I, it's... So, I mean, there's story after story, and as well as there's heroic story after heroic story in all this, but every podcast, every TV show right now, this is all that's getting talked about, and uh, what has to happen is this has to end, and then... We have to figure out how to get to a point where this, I've never seen anything like this. I'm sure we've had some riots in the past that maybe took a few more lives. Maybe we were more concentrated, but I will tell you, and you brought it up, Darren, I have watched every minute of this. I cannot turn off the news because I want to educate myself. I want to educate myself on the protesters. I want to educate myself on the law enforcement side, on the small business owner side, uh, you know, nobody in this country, I can tell you right now, uh, who's the, the cop in Minnesota, Derek Chauvin? Mm -hmm. Is that his name? Yeah, okay. Chauvin. Nobody in the country, I promise you, None. wants to kill him more than I do. And every night when I look at these officers who are standing the line, wearing their riot gear, I promise you, I promise you that every one of these guys is thinking the same thing. This motherfucker put me in this spot because he... so. He's one guy. So here's my question. Well, we, I have two questions for you, actually. 
Please. First, let's go back to last week. Last week, before the country literally started burning down and these protests got to where they're at today, we talked about the four Minnesota police officers, and we had breaking news. I mean, I got a text right as we went on air today that they did charge the other three, and I spent the, the whole week thinking, how are they going to charge the other three? I don't agree with murder three. Uh, you know, Minnesota laws are different than Phoenix. I, I'm very familiar with, our, the, with the Phoenix Criminal Code and how murder, first degree, second degree, manslaughter, how that all works. In Minnesota, when he was charged with murder three, I was kind of scratching my head like, the guy was completely comatose and unconscious, and you still kept your knee on him for three minutes. Murder three doesn't cut it, but I'm not a DA. I didn't pass the bar exam, so I don't speak when I'm uneducated about something. But when it came to the other three officers, last week you brought up a point about the 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 one officer, last name is Tao or something Looks like that, descent. how you disagreed with me that he should not have been fired. And now after seven days of watching now a third angle of the video, watching all three videos in depth, he is the very next one. Give me five minutes alone in a room with this small fat fucking prick, how he is wearing a uniform and standing there with his hands in his pocket, watching a man be murdered by another police officer is absolutely asinine. And so, but under the law, what does he get charged with? And have you changed your mind since last week like I have? 100% yes. When we did our show, I know it came out Wednesday night, but we were really yeah. basing on what we saw Tuesday. So literally hours after. It was after, day one. Yeah, day one. day one. And the video I saw, and again, we even did the caveat. We're basing this on what we saw with no inside information on the investigation. We have no... Um, intelligence other than what we saw in the video. And the video I saw, I saw a couple of times, and as horrific as it was, and I knew this, uh, the main guy with his knee on um, Floyd's neck was definitely murder, without a doubt. I didn't know to what degree. We both kind of agreed that this is going to be manslaughter at minimum, minimum, depending on what else we get, because we can't be in his head, but we can learn information from what his mindset is day in, day out. And we'll find that from people from the locker room, cop talk, um, discussions on Facebook, social yeah. media. We've, we'll find a lot more about this gentleman. And just, well, there's, well, there's a lot plenty, coming. Yes. Plenty been said yes, about yes. him. But when I saw the person you're talking to, the guy with the Asian um, you know, descent, and he absolutely was looking straight down at the murder. From 24 inches. Oh, yeah, right there. And he could hear as well this man pleading, pleading, officer, please, I can't breathe. Officer, I can't breathe. You're killing me. Uh -huh. He did nothing. He, uh -huh. he never spoke up. He never, you know, like what we talked about is when you see an officer doing something stupid, you want to help that officer by stopping them. And you push them away and say, hey, 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 you're, you're so you're why on can't neck. why can't the felony murder rule apply to him? Then? It would. It would. You think and, it and will? That's my I, I haven't read. I, yes. I got that breaking news. So I haven't seen the charges I, I, against I, these other three. Of all four, of all four, you got two that are absolutely completely culpable of 
murder too. Of the uh, murder, of, yes. Of murder too, 100%. absolutely. Knowingly, knowingly. You can hear him begging for his life. You can hear him gurgling, trying to breathe. He is pleading with you, and one has the knee on, the other one isn't stopping him. And you're a police officer, and you know a murder's going down, and you're not stopping it. I don't care if that guy has a uniform or not. Both of them are 100% culpable well, for one, that murder. One of the officers actually did say at one point, shouldn't we roll him onto his stomach? And that- And Chauvin- who was the senior officer, which means something listen, to cops, but doesn't well, mean something to the public world. Not when you're patrol officers. I, it, it should not. I don't care if you have two years. I don't care if you have 19 years on. You're a fucking cop. But we know that's it. But we know that um, when you roll to a scene, the first officer, or senior officer kind of takes control. That's true. But so after one officer says, shouldn't we roll him onto his stomach? Yes. And Chauvin openly says, and you and, and it's heard. No, no, we're keeping him right here. That that's elevates it. That's where or maybe it gets even elevated. murder one. Maybe it, even murder I would say one. it might even go premeditated. You know what you're doing. And an officer. So here's my take on it. I, I'm glad all four were arrested. Having seen the other videos, I'm 100 percent glad they were yeah. all arrested. Yeah. I see the state asking one of those other two officers, one at the feet or one at the, you know, the other mid torso. To turn state's evidence, because then you can talk about who he is as a person. You can talk about what led up to this. You know, have has this officer ever dealt with this individual before? There's a lot of things that will go into that. So I foresee one of them turning state's evidence and assisting the prosecution. Well, and, and to that point, here's one of my biggest problems with the justice system. I guarantee you the judge and the prosecutor and Chauvin's family, although... His wife filed to dissolve <laughs> that marriage like the next day. So she clearly, yes. uh, she had to live with the guy. That, Smart woman. You know what? That speaks volumes though. It does. That, that your does. wife the very next day wants to dissolve the marriage. Obviously she knows because the old saying, we don't know what goes beyond closed doors. Yeah. Obviously he was a dick behind <laughs> closed doors too. But we'll find out. When, when it comes to everything from his past, you're going to find attorneys and possibly a judge who say that that is all inadmissible in a case like this everything that he has done from the minute he graduated the academy is a hundred percent admissible and pertinent and i guarantee you they will keep it locked out his other shootings his other complaints the lawsuits filed against minneapolis because of what chauvin did that should all be mitigating circumstances that built up but the problem is all that does is add to the dollars that minneapolis is going to have to pay because they had ample opportunity to get rid of this guy long before he ever responded to the george floyd incident and that goes to another investigation that we haven't even weighed in on and that's a federal investigation for his civil rights being violated. But that's civil rights, you can't. But, but it's what, not murder. It, it, yeah, it is. If it's unlawful, absolutely, they'll go towards racism. And that's when you open the door for any type of ugly rhetoric this guy has ever said. Now, I'm not saying he has said this, but if in those back rooms, in the locker rooms, on social media, if this guy has weighed in about anything racially ugly and racially motivated uh -huh. um, and they'll look at his other arrests and see what kind of percentage racially if all that comes up to you know where there's smoke there's fire then absolutely then it will be absolutely 
admissible for the state charges because yeah. now you got racially motivated. You got a hate crime, my friend. Yeah, remember Mark I, Furman and O.J. Simpson? I was just going to bring yes. him up. Yep. You're right. He denied, denied, yes. denied till it was on tape. It becomes so, pertinent. Since we're doing cop talk, let and Rod, me, Rodney King Rod, brings up the Rodney mm-hmm. King trial. Well, and you know what's interesting? Obviously, things have changed greatly over the past 25 Since to 30 92. years. Yes. yes. But when you look back at the Rodney King thing, it was on video, which that was kind of new. Like, whoa, the, things are getting caught. Now everything's on video. Right. But the Rodney King riots, the protests, the, dev, the, the looting, the burning, the hurting of other people did not start until after the trial was over. The trial was over and the officers were acquitted, which obviously is a huge problem. Now we're seeing them start from the moment. So in the interest of cop talk, Darren, I want to get you, uh, for those of you who listen to this show repeatedly, I always say, you know, I was a cop for a very short time uh, on the streets did homicide for quite a few years, worked on a lot of officer-involved shootings, have dealt with different use of force incidents. Darren, on the other hand, was an officer for three years and actually was involved in shootings and things like this. So here, I want to put this from a cop. This is a cop's standpoint because we're talking about cop talk right now, right? Absolutely. So I'm going to throw this scenario at you. Now, we already had the Minnesota thing. Okay, we got a guy who's on the ground in handcuffs, and we have a cop. I, I I hate even calling him a cop. We have a guy who's got his knee on his neck, and he's suffocating him, and he murders him. So now I want to put you in the position of uh, let's just use a felony traffic stop as an example. Okay, so here in Phoenix, just based on what takes place training and how it goes a felony stop is somebody who is possibly dangerous very wanted it'll usually involve three cars four to six police officers gun drawn guns drawn downrange looking at the suspect giving commands exit the vehicle turn off your car open the door from the outside step out walk backwards to me. I mean, there's a whole like procedure and all of us in those situations are looking where at the suspect. Unlike in Minnesota where they're staring at the cop. So you have situations like you'll be in this felony stop and one cop, and I've investigated scenes like this as a homicide detective. There's five cops there and one cop opens fire. And you ask some of the other cops, well, why didn't you fire? Why didn't you have that? Um, uh, what's the term for sympathetic reflex? Sympa- sympathetic reflex. Why didn't you, you heard a gunshot? Why didn't you start shooting? Why didn't feel the need to? Okay. And the, you know, then the investigation goes on to the justification and why this other police officer, my point is when you're in a situation like this, you're all staring in one direction. You're not looking at another cop saying, Oh, you, you don't have your finger on the, uh, down the frame. You have it on the trigger. That, that, that's not right. You can't really determine what other people's actions and right or wrongs until after the fact. This case in Minnesota was a clear cut. What you are doing is 
wrong right now, and that's why I can't wait till the show's over and I can read the charges, but that these other three have been charged. But the, the community, the nation, does not understand that when I say things need to be taken on a case-by-case basis, they actually do need to be taken on a case-by-case basis. You guys want to hear something? The um, the murder charge against Derek Chauvin has been upgraded to second degree murder. Yes, knew it. Yep. So, what is your question, my friend Jason, in regards to this? In terms of with my well, my years question goes yes, to sir. well, now that these police officers have been charged, this is what I'm talking about. And I said it last week. I was glad they were fired right away, but yes, all of them had the opportunity to see what this other person was doing and they are culpable in the murder of Mr. Floyd. All four of them. I'm so glad you brought up the idea that, for example, in the Rodney King beating, you had a sergeant, had a supervisor looking onto this beating. That supervisor is 100% responsible. He's the one that needs to be culpable for what his people are doing because he's supervising them. Each officer had a different limb, a leg, a head, a body, whatever. Their eyes are not glued to each other. It's not like a Borg where when one sees something, they all see something. You have different officers with different perspectives as well and threat assessments. So when you're talking about a common threat of a subject with a gun coming at you, some one officer might have a tree in his way. One officer might have a perfect sight alignment with no backdrop problem so he has a good shot some other officer may see the same threat but he has a backdrop issue he doesn't have a shot or you have someone who just doesn't see it because he has bad vision and can't see 20 yards away (laughs) so you have so many perspectives that play into this so giving if you will playing devil's advocate giving the other two not the asian guy who's looking down at inches away and hears this guy begging for his life and can see this officer's knee on his neck there's no there's no it's it's not defensible it's not you can't defend that but the other two they hurt you can make the argument they should have heard this man pleading for his life but can you make the argument they saw his knee on him now one of them says something like should we turn him over he by that statement alone makes me think maybe he didn't know he had his knee on his neck he's to the far right this was the left knee this is as far close to the head as 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 Floyd's as possible, where the other two might have been by the feet or the legs, and we're looking at that threat and not being able to see through the bodies to see where his knee was. Now, I'm not giving them an out. I'm glad they're arrested because you could hear Floyd begging for his life, I can't breathe. And to the point where one of them, or maybe both of them, made a comment that, hey, should we reposition him? Good for them. But the senior officer said, no, he's fine. Uh, no, he didn't say fine. What do you say? We're keeping him right here. But to my That's point, where the word. Thank you. To my words. point, he did not say no. My knee is fine where it's at. No words. How do we know those other two knew his knee was on his neck? We don't know that at this point, at this juncture. No, we don't. But we do know from our training the guy is in handcuffs. It's over. You get him up and you put him in the back of a car. They already for tried. They already tried. Everybody's. They already tried. 
That what we saw was and the they af- beat his ass in the inside the car. And they drove what we out. saw was the aftermath of them trying to put him in the car that did not work. I've in thirty years I can I can't even tell you how many times I put someone in a car and it was a drag out fight. We pull them out and we call the wagon. When I was watching that video, I had told everyone I saw that looked like a wagon scenario. Like they gave up on putting him in the backseat of the car because you're going to get him hurt or you're going to get hurt. Yeah. It's not even worth it. You call wagon. Yeah. And so to me, them sitting there, all three of them controlling his body was as if they've already had a fight with him. Now, is that me as a cop putting in my own experiences? Sure. Having the knee on his neck, I immediately, everything else went out the window. And all I cared about is the fact that this, this officer killed George Floyd by placing his knee on his neck to a point where was, I thought it was going to be positional asphyxia. Um, it could be. He murdered. It, well, George I don't Floyd. care the cause. The manner was homicide. Yes. So with that in mind, I keep looking at justice for all justice yeah. for Floyd justice for George Floyd needs to be done. All four of them need to be arrested. But I also want to provide any exculpatory information in terms of the other two officers i'm not giving them an out don't get me wrong they heard it they should have said something they should have got off the leg looked at it but i see more value in them turning state's evidence against the two or three um so that's my point is that i don't want to automatically assume they knew for a fact that officer's knee was on that prisoner's neck as he's handcuffed um I, I, After nine minutes, nine though, minutes. at some point they had to have known. And the protect and serve thing, this is what the protesters, and there is a difference between, obviously, the protesters and there are a lot of violent extremists out there who are crossing state lines, which is a federal crime. Domestic who, terrorists. Who knows how many will get prosecuted. There, There is a significant difference. But what the and the radical extremists, you can't, they want law enforcement gone. And I can't even fathom the insanity of living in a world where I am free to go in and rape any woman I want, kill anybody I want, steal anything I want, because we just have, all cops have to be gone. That's, it, it is the most idiotic concept. So Hashtag we don't even, unfund police. We, we don't even need to discuss that. No. But for the protesters, what they need to understand is, The only way after all these days to make the proper change is you that 99% of the cops that you're staring in the face at, that you're spitting at, that you're staring at at their shit, they do. They agree with you. And all of that they're thinking when it's midnight and they're getting hit with bottles and rocks and bricks and all this stuff, all that they are thinking is this fucking guy in Minnesota, I'll kill him if I give a chance. I promise you that the police feel stronger about these Minnesota cops than any of you civilian protesters. I guarantee it because me and Darren, I'm obviously a little more animated animated than than Darren, but I would kill Derek Chauvin in a fucking heartbeat if I was given the chance. I, I truly would. Give me five minutes in a room with him. That's how most cops feel. I guarantee it. And one of the things you said to me was about the Rodney King. And you talked about how it was different. And you were on the apartment at that time. I'm an old man. I was. It was so different for a lot of reasons. One is the biggest one. It was divided. 
racially divided. There's a lot of people that saw that beating with Rodney King as police officers said, well, he wasn't complying. Well, that's true. He was fighting them. I mean, literally not fighting, assaulting them, hurting them before the video came on. Well, that's true. It was a divided time in that 1992 period where you had a lot of people that looked at the video and said, yeah, it's ugly, it's bad, but I, I understand why the police had to do that. It's changed now. We all look back and say, oh my God, that was a beating end of story. What's so different from 1992 to 2020 is we're 100% united that what we saw was a murder. Yeah. There's not a single voice out there yeah. that should have been peaceful protest because we're all in the same shoot of music. Yeah. But no, the other difference is in 1992, you didn't have social media. You didn't have Antifa. You didn't have people that were going to hijack these peaceful peaceful protests and use it for their own agenda you have social media where people are saying we're going to do this we're going to do this you have an organized fascist organization that hates fascism but they're using fascistic measures to get their political agenda out there and they've absolutely hijacked these peaceful protests and created them into nothing more than a purge on police. And that's why I talked about all these injured police officers. We've gotten away from these peaceful protests. We, they've exploited George Floyd's murder for their own agenda, much like our politicians have, much like the actors and Hollywood has. And these looters, these looters are a whole other animal. These are criminals. That's a whole different. Yeah, they're just criminals who are joining this, this riot so they can steal stuff. Yeah, and that's the travesty between the two. That's the main difference is a divide is a united world instead of divided one during the Rodney King riots, and the second is the social media. But the third is back then the California governor very quickly realized Los Angeles was burning and burning bad, and he brought in National Guard immediately. And he also brought in through the president of the United States. They brought in the military, and they squashed it fairly quickly it didn't last for as long as this is lasting we didn't have the injured officers like we are now we didn't allow for that atmosphere to boil over into a purge on all police well a lot of people don't remember back in the 1950s when schools were going to be integrated and thank god that happened whatever obviously i wasn't born until 1972 but so this is in my world my learning my history but We're talking about Arkansas, the Deep South, and you had a governor who was refusing to allow those schools to be integrated. Wallace? And what did... No, he was Alabama. Thank you. (laughs) He was a whole other animal. (laughs) He was a whole other fucking animal. But do you know what the president of the United States did at the time? He federalized the National Guard, sent them into Arkansas, and basically told that governor, sit down, shut up, we're going to keep everybody safe. safe. It's not about white and black. We are. We have made this a law. We have. We are integrating schools, and we're going to keep everybody safe. So it has been done over the years in different times. Not often, right now. And I'll tell you, you talk about these looters. And I was having this conversation with my son the other night. Which these are difficult. I don't. I feel for everybody out there who's talking to a seven-year-old versus like me talking to a 17-year-old, but we were watching a guy just, this is one of tens of thousands of scenes we've seen on TV. I was watching a guy walk out of a 
liquor store in Minnesota carrying about four cases of alcohol, okay? And, of course, your first inclination is, man, you have no right to be going into that store, messing with that business owner, and stealing. However, what really resonated with me, and this is where it comes to the politics, because all these politicians, all they talk about is racism, systemic racism, things like that. And what kills me about these people and their hypocrisy, and I'm talking about the politicians. I'm going to use, again, Phoenix as an example because I was born and raised here. Where George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis is a lower-income neighborhood. You, What you're seeing when the riots, which have kind of quieted down there compared to what they're doing in New York and uh, Thanks to uh, uh, Floyd's brother and his family. Exactly. That's good for so them. So what you saw in Minneapolis, geographically, you have to take into consideration. And here's where I get really, really pissed off at our politicians. If this happened in Phoenix, and it happened on 32nd Street in Roosevelt, you would see these protests, you would see the looting, you would see stores getting vandalized. Would you see people going into Scottsdale and doing this? Looting stores? No. And why? Because the politicians would step up and make sure that those rich communities were taken care of. So the politicians are going to scream at people like me on TV that we are racist and we have a problem when you fuckers lead the country in your systemic racism based on, oh, will I or will I not get elected and Every single one of you can fuck off. We've seen it. New York governor is a Democrat. What? And, and New York mayor is a Democrat. Well, and, they're, and they're pointing fingers at each other. They, yeah, the feud between them is almost hilarious. But as we know, de Blasio is, a whole nother is, animal. is the single worst person in the United <laughs> States of America. And I, I talk about him once a week at least. And his daughter yes. oh, don't, got arrested. You, yep. oh, we're going to say that for stupid suspect okay, stories. Well, let, me yes. just, let me just finish with this. Yes. I talked to a very good friend of mine last night. Been a New York police officer for 25 years. He's been through a lot. He's been dealing with the COVID thing, which New York got hit. Hard, hard. So I checked in with him last night, and I just simply said, hey, are you okay? Is your family okay? I'm praying for the NYPD family. I'm praying for your city. My son is getting ready to move there. So I've got a nervous connection to this. And he just said, Jason, listen. He said, you know what? I'm okay. My family's okay. He said, but we're getting our asses kicked out here and we don't have any support. He didn't call anybody out by name. He didn't throw anybody under the bus. And when I say that, he didn't say anything bad about the protesters and the looters. He didn't say anything about about his chiefs and his mayor. He just simply said, we're getting our asses kicked and it's scary times right now. And that's what most cops are feeling like. We want to protect our city. We want to protect ourselves and our family. And they don't have... You know, they're getting attacked on one side and then unsupported on the other side. But I will give credit to Arizona. I loved watching the news last night. And you know what? That 8 o'clock curfew, there wasn't nobody on the street. It was a peaceful And we protest. are leading by example. So I will give credit, not to a politician, because I just absolutely refuse to, but we're doing something right. I give credit to Chief Jerry Williams. Absolutely. For what she has said, the pictures she has posted. She is a... 
And I love Jerry Williams. She's the chief of, for those of you who don't know, she is the chief of the Phoenix Police Department. She was a sergeant in charge of the hiring unit when I was hired. So, of course, I have a uh, certain degree of love for her because she hired you. She gave me a chance. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked out great for me in my life. But now she's risen up to, she's a chief. She is a beautiful woman. She happens to be African American, which to me does not matter. Jerry Williams is just a beautiful, strong, does not take any shit and stands up for both her officers and her community. And you are seeing, we're kind of leading by example compared to LA, Chicago, New York. And we can compare ourselves to them because we're the fifth largest city in the country. So I'm not talking about like, you know, some small town in Iowa. We're the fifth largest city in the country. And we had everybody out the streets last night, eight o'clock. No businesses were vandalized. No officers were injured. No civilians were injured or killed. That the news has reported. That's yet. about as good as it gets. And it, it's a beautiful thing. I, I was very proud last night when I went to bed to say, you know what? I am proud to live here. I'm proud to have served here because you guys are doing a great job. And I hope the rest of the country somehow finds a way to follow suit. And I think that's a perfect place to... Uh, I want to do a quick shout out though. Please. Just because he was talking about how Phoenix has handled this. We had a young man here. He's actually Pastor Redeem Robinson the other night. He's the one captured on the video encouraging the police officers to take a knee and saying, if you take a knee with us... We will leave here by the curfew, and he oh, has. I'd be the first one on my knee. This video is no, all absolutely. over and everywhere, yes. and they did. They did. And it was and beautiful. They did. You're they our shook, community. They You're shook our community. hands with these yes. young people. They gave hugs. I mean, it was the most oh, beautiful thing I've ever hug. seen. You're seeing protesters hug police. Yes. Here We're united. Phoenix. We're united in what occurred. It was horrible. It was horrific. It was a murder. Yes. Yes. And we're, we we yes. we have nothing to argue about. And if is there changes that need to be done? Yes. Of course, there's of course, all yeah. we as an organization. You always want to improve, um, and there's always room for improvement. There always always is, and that's a perfect note for us to wrap this edition. And next is stupid suspects, rock headlines, and of course Jason's inspirational clothes. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Now, that was a lively cop talk. That was one of our longest cop talks, and it needed to be a lot. It, it, in it, fact, I didn't even get into some of the other things about New York and mayors and governors well, putting fingers. Darren, we're going to be talking about oh, this for weeks. Right. We're right. going to be talking we're, about well, this Well, we actually weeks. have a special show two weeks from now. We can't say too much, but we have a tease. Teaser. We have a very, very special show all about this purge on police. Right. But uh, with all this having been said, there is a lot of heroism going on. Um, every one of these officers injured um, 
every single man and woman standing on these lines in all these cities is heroism. Because that, I, having done it, unfortunately, yeah. it, it's absolutely it, your heart is racing. You you just don't want to be there, but you got to be there to keep the community safe and your brother and sister on your left and right safe. It's a horrible situation. Um, so perfect segue into heroic headlines, my friend. Yeah, and like you said, there's heroism every day all over the place. There's probably uh, a thousand stories I could tell. This one uh, strikes at the heart of what we're dealing with. And uh, the headline is, Black Men Form Human Shield to Protect a Police Officer During Protest. And just reading the headline strikes me because the whole premise behind this is about police officers killing african-americans and uh this is a story of what was supposed to be a peaceful expression of protest with the express aim to shed light on the death of george floyd has in some cases obviously as we all know turned violent in minneapolis where this all started and took place on may 29th people were walking past a black lives matter sign after a night of protests of violence in minneapolis just like there were examples on social media of people in multiple cities guarding targets and local businesses, not only to stop the looters and destroying the multi-million dollar retail stores, but to ensure that in the morning, mothers could go and get milk and pamphlets for their children. People are coming together to do the right thing in an extraordinary example of pure humanity coming out of Louisville. A group of black men formed a human chain to protect a police officer from the riotous crowd after he was separated from his group while protesters were there to be heard and honor Floyd's life. Some instead saw the opportunity to take their frustration out on a cop, not caring who this cop is other than the color of his skin. They don't care about his spouse, his children, anything else. It's amazing the hatred right now, how we don't just respect ourselves as human beings. But a group of African-American men formed a chain around this cop and protected him. So if that doesn't speak volumes to what this is really about, which is, hey, we want change and justice, but we're not trying to destroy your life and the people you love and care about, which that's lost on a lot of people. But this group of individuals in St. Louis, I give them... Uh, a ton of credit and I, I thank them for standing up not only for the color of their own skin and what happened with George Floyd, but I credit them with realizing that the current police officer getting attacked is not the one who had his knee on Floyd's neck. Or the police officer who went in and shot the EMT in Louisville, Kentucky, which is they've had riots leading into the death of Floyd. They've had so much. So that's truly a testament to those those individuals, no doubt about it. Uh, you brought us way high, and I'm going to bring us way low. Oh Our stupid suspect stories is politicians, actors, and looters. Uh, yeah. Uh, New York City Mayor de Blasio's daughter was arrested during Saturday night's protest. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio's daughter was arrested Saturday night during the citywide protest over the death of George Floyd, as many of us know. A senior, um, she was arrested Saturday night at 12th Street and Broadway in Manhattan for unlawful assembly. The official said that she was taken into custody at approximately 10.30 p.m. 
What's interesting about that is the news was first reported by New York Post. The Post reported that Blossom had been blocking traffic and was arrested after she refused to move. Um, this Her arrest came roughly one hour after the mayor held a late-night news conference telling the protesters that it was time to go. So in other words, that's right, she doesn't even listen to her dad. Um, yeah, I guess she wasn't well, listening to him. Well, you know what? Secretly behind the scenes, he probably told her specifically, go do this. He hates cops and loves these protests. He has... He, That's all there is to it. He would rather, loves this. He would rather arrest a, a church for violating social distancing than he would yes, looters. Of course. Yeah. Of and course. then they get out. That's another thing. When the governor said something that it was disgraceful how the New York PD handled it and how de Blasio handled it, um, I loved it. A police commander came on and said, tell the governor that maybe you could change some of these laws that make it when we arrest these looters, they get out minutes later. Yeah, that might help us, Governor. Okay, I'll get off that. Stupid yeah, I, I, well, hey, yeah, you're talking yes. common sense, so right, right, you're going to have right. to shut up. <laughs> Stupid suspect story number two. Well, we went politicians. Now we're going to go actors. A group of washed-up celebrities and uh, politicians are demanding to America defund the police. Uh, because what better way to protect the public from arsons, looters, and killers than to get rid of all police? How stupid. Hollywood, California, one thing you can always count on is washed up B-list celebrities who preach from on high whenever they think there's an opportunity to get some publicity, some exposure, and bash the president and police. There is now a growing movement among Hollywood elite, or I use air quotes for that, defund police departments. Even while rioters are reducing major cities around the country to rubble and killing store owners, uh, this these people are wanting to get rid of, of police departments. Far-left progressive Congresswoman Rashiba Tlaib, who hasn't worked in months, uh, is, is wanting this as well. Um, this is disgusting. These are people that have private security. They have mansions. They have walls. They have all the security they want. They want to get rid of all Must police nice. officers. And, uh, yeah, how stupid. Must be nice. And then the third stupid suspect is a photo. And I know you can't see this, but trust me. You need to go to social media and take a look. This is a grateful of a white looter who's dressed all in black with a black ski mask, black gloves, black shoes, black everything, uh, a.k.a. Antifa. Uh, and he's pictured running out of a large store window in New York City with what can only be described as the weirdest porcelain planter in the world. It's a monkey holding a bowl. So in other words, he is literally breaking out of this store out the window holding this butt ugly planter uh so it, yeah it's like why are you doing this for a, the most ridiculous thing that you wouldn't buy at a uh, a garage sale maybe his mom wanted it for christmas uh you know where she went in there was nothing else left ah, well i'll grab this yeah so he's my wow. stupid suspect number three i hope they catch him because i love to see him go to prison for this stupid porcelain planter of a monkey holding a bowl <laughs> you gotta check it out unbelievable yeah yeah, and we'll have it posted on our Baz Boys Facebook page. Monkey holding a bull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know what to say after that. Common sense has just left the building. Uh, well, and it has to right about now because not too many people are displaying it. Um, you know, I would, uh, for this week's inspirational close, I would just encourage people. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of the few. I have given up my my Netflix binge watching shows and i don't turn off the news i want to know what's going on what's being said who's who's doing what on both sides 
protesters, the extremists, the cops. Uh, I'm glued to it, and I watch different channels, and then I try to do my own research. But the one thing that I, I think people are forgetting to do is, uh, like Minneapolis, for example, on their worst night of protesting, when stores were really getting destroyed, lit on fire, things like that, the next day, what the news chose not to show was the hundreds of people in that community that were out there cleaning and sweeping their streets, boarding up windows, donating, even if it was $5, buying something from that local store to keep it in business. You've got to try and find the positives in all this because it is the reason things have gotten where they're at is because things spread so quickly on social media and the mob mentality. If we can switch the mob mentality back around to peacefulness and gratitude and change, that's going to help a lot because we all still behind closed doors, we have to have talks with our children. We have to have talks with our families and ourselves. And then we have to go out in public and decide, are we safe or not? So, I would encourage all of you, uh, you will find plenty of inspiration if you look for the right stories, which unfortunately the politicians and the news, uh, those aren't good stories. They're not going to bring in ratings and be sensationalized, but they're out there. There's a lot of heroes and there's a lot of people who are doing the right thing. So uh, try to be safe. I, I, I don't see these, you know, I hope Darren's right, but I'm sure when I turn on the news at seven o'clock tonight, uh, on Pacific Coast time, I'm going to see New York City getting torn to shit at 10 o'clock their time, and I just don't see this ending anytime soon. Um, and that's not because I'm a negative person. It's just uh, uh, we are in the grips of of something like I've never seen before, and uh, hopefully it's going to come to an end. So try to find some inspiration. Try to remember who you are. Uh, it's great to stand up for what you believe in, but violence and hatred is simply never an answer. God bless all of you, and we will see you next week. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.